You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. You know, on Friday night, Barb and I had the privilege of going to the uh, Gideon Banquet at Ridgecrest. They're having their uh, state convention there, and uh, they invited pastors from the area, so we were able to go. We got a meal. And when you go to these kinds of banquets that they have for pastors, you get to hear wonderful stories about the Gideon ministry and how they, them giving Bibles or placing Bibles has really changed people's hearts. And we heard some good stories, but the most amazing of those stories was by a woman that we were sitting with at her table. Uh, she wasn't one of the guest speakers during that meeting. Uh, this woman's name was Susan Hayward, and she was to be the guest speaker for the Gideon's Auxiliary, which is the women's group associated with Gideon's uh, the next day. And so she told us that she was a believer because of a Gideon Bible and began to tell us this incredible story. She was a, a young person, grew up Catholic, and she said that, you know, she always did the right thing. She was just a, a goody two-shoes, you know, never really did anything wrong. She didn't get involved in drugs or illicit sex or, you know, had never even used a cuss word before. And so, you know, it was amazing and uh, I said, so what you're saying is you were almost good enough to get into heaven. Because when you think about it, some people, that's where they're at. They're almost, no one is good enough without the love of Jesus Christ, without Calvary, as Chuck just sang about. And so she went on to say that at her school, they were giving out Gideon Bibles. And she got one. She said she wanted it because it was so cute, the little Gideon New Testaments. And, but she kind of put it away and didn't really think that much about it until... Someone asked her this question. If you were to die, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? And of course, being brought up on her theology, she said, absolutely, I would be good enough to get into heaven. I've never done anything wrong. I've always been perfect. I've done what's right all the time. But she wasn't 100% sure. And so she decided that she would open up her New Testament that she was given and start reading it to try to prove that she was good enough to get into heaven. And before too long, she, got, she said she started in John because that's what someone told her to start with. And she got to John chapter 3 and by the time she finished it, she had tears in her eyes and realized that she was not good enough to get into heaven. So she prayed and trusted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Now, there's a lot of people, and it doesn't matter whether you're a, a Catholic or a Baptist, but there's a lot of people who have been in church their whole life, but they are relying on just their own goodness and not on the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people in our community like this. If you've heard our director of missions speak, you've probably heard him talk about how 60,000 of the 90,000 people in Burke County are totally unchurched. That means they don't go to church at all. When I think about that number, I think about, you know, there's probably 30% who go to church. And of that 30%, many of them don't go to an evangelical Bible-believing church. They don't go to a church that teaches Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. Some of them, they teach uh, works as a mode of theology of how you get to heaven by doing good things. But of those third, you know, if we just assume that, yeah, they're all going to heaven, there's probably a third that used to go to church 
They've become de-churched, and then there's the third that have never gone to church. I think you've heard me say that before. But you know, our job is to reach the people in our community. And if you think about that 60,000 people that are unchurched, what an immense job that is. I was reading another uh, book uh, by a man, and uh, he said that he's put it before his church to reach 1% of their population. Now, he lives in South Florida where there's 14 million people. And that's 1% of 14 million people is a lot of people, 140,000. And he said, we can't do it all by ourselves. And so they've made that their goal. And so what they're doing is they're planting churches all over uh, the city to do that. But, you know, let's think about this. Our 60,000 that it's our job to reach. If we were to reach 1% of those, how many would that be? It means that High Peak Church's job is to reach 600 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a lot of folks, isn't it? That's an awful lot of people. But if you think there are 100 churches in Burke County preaching the gospel, then that means that it's our job to get 1%. 600 people. I don't know how many people we have here today. I haven't counted, but, you know, we've been, uh, since we've kind of gotten back into the swing of things, we've been having around 75, 85 people in our worship services. So let's just say 50 people in this room are likely to be able to go out and share the gospel tomorrow. What does that mean? that every single one of us has to reach how many to get 600? What's the math there? 12 people each, right? One a month. That's a very tall order. That's a very big job. Now, last week we talked about praying that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the fields. Have you been praying that? I have. I've been praying that God would send out people into the field. And this week I want to help you know how you can share the gospel. For the next three weeks, we're going to think about this idea. How can I simply share my faith in a way that people might listen? And it's really simple. It's a little plan called Three Circles. And if you were at our uh, association's annual meeting, you saw a demonstration of this. So, and so I'm, I'm not going to lie and say I came up with this all on my own. I didn't. A man named uh, Jimmy Scoggins, that book that I was reading about the pastor from South Florida, it, he's the one who kind of came up, of, up with this. But when you look at it, the very first circle talks about God's design. God's design. What is God's design for you? Think about that. Here's my question. Why did God make you? Why are you here? Why do you exist? Why do you live? Why do you have breath going in and out of your lungs every day? Why do you have those neurons firing in your brain to all the parts of your body to make you move and do things? Why? Ultimately, it's to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, God has made you for a reason. He designed you for a reason. I, I want to show you something. Here, here's a picture, and I wonder if you can guess what in the world is this? Anybody have any idea what that looks like? Anyone? Got a guess? Yeah, it looks maybe like a keyboard for a computer. But what in the world are all those buttons above it? Close, DOS, what is that? If you were in computers a long time ago, you know what DOS stands for. Okay, game, menu, program one. I mean, someone designed that keyboard for a purpose. And now it's kind of an old piece of junk. 
How about this picture? What is this? This might be a little bit harder. Anybody have a guess what that is? Well, I wrote the, they wrote the word down there, so you can't just guess. It's a pendant for perfume that you would wear around a necklace. And so if you just find yourself needing a sudden shot of smelliness, you just take that thing out. I know how to do it. I don't do it, but I know how to do it. And so that's what that is. Someone made that little thing so you can have some stinky juice around your neck at a moment's notice when you are in an emergency, a stinky juice emergency. I know it's a silly term for it, but that's why I think about it. You see, they designed those things for a purpose. God made you for a purpose. What was it? Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 will show us what is the purpose. After all, Genesis chapter 1 tells us about how we were all made. And you know the story of Genesis chapter 1. You know, it was all just a crazy wild mess at first. Not mess, because God made it, but you know what I mean. It didn't have any form or anything. And then he started speaking things into existence. And finally, humanity came along. And this is the story of our creation, of God making us for a purpose. He designed us for a reason. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Now, who is this us and our stuff? This is the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God the Father, united together in the purpose of creation. John chapter 1 tells us that the Holy Spirit, or that God was there. And uh, John chapter 17, I believe, says that the Holy Spirit was there and God was there. All three together, united to make us with God's design for a purpose. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, does that mean that we look like God? You know, when I was born, I'm sure my family and my parents' family looked at me and said, oh, there's little, little Jimmy, little Jimmy. That's what her, my dad's uh, name was according to his family. I all called him Jimmy. I bet my grandparents, oh, there's little Jimmy, you know, because I looked a lot like my dad when I was young. But, you know, I also looked a lot like my mom. I had some of her favorites. We look like them, but that's not what this is about. The likeness means we are created in a similar fashion. And I believe one of the parts of that is that we were created to be in fellowship I also believe we were created with a creative ability because God is creative. But most importantly, I think God created us for this reason. Look at it. It says, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man, in verse 27, in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, now look at this, male and female. In verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. You see, God had a design for every one of us. And as we look at this, there are five things in this passage and a couple of other verses in this passage. Number one, we were made with a gender identity. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I think it's important to point out in this day and in this time, God made us to be a man or a woman. There is no in between. Secondly, God made us to be together. Later on in Genesis 2, 24, we're going to see the the story about how Eve came and was joined with Adam and they were married. God made us to be in a marriage unless he gave us a special gift where we would be alone. And some people do have that gift. 
Also, in verse 28, he talked about how we're to be fruitful and multiply. God made us to be in families. Now, sadly, families are breaking apart in our culture today. That's why the church has never been more important. Because most people come from broken homes today. And so we need an unbroken home, the church, to come together and help fulfill some of that for some people. Also, in verses 28 to 30, we didn't read all of that, but... We were given a vocation. God made Adam and put him in place for a reason, to do things. Do you have a purpose, a call in your life, a vocation? We sometimes call our career our vocation. I hope your career is your vocation because it means that you're probably filled with joy doing what God wants you to do. Sadly, some people miss their vocation. A vocation is simply a big, huge $25 word that means a calling in your life. God called you to do something special. I believe my calling has been to be a pastor. Have you found yours? By the way, the first part of Genesis chapter 2 tells us that one of our purposes was to honor and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So rest and relaxation, a pause every single week in order for us to honor the Lord, to rest from our work, and to restore, refire our hunger and desire to serve him. But when you look at that, the most important aspect of our design, God's number one reason for creating all of us, the ultimate goal in creation is we were designed to be like God and in a relationship with God. More important than everything else, all of those things that I just mentioned, those five things, all of those come out of a relationship with him. I've told every single couple I've ever married, you can't get married without God. If you don't have a right relationship with God, your marriage will fail. If you're planning to get married, or if you are married and God is not the center of your marriage, then you have no hope of having a truly successful marriage. You say, well, we're happy. Nothing seems to... Are you really? I just know this. I know that unless Jesus is at the center of the home, it will not work. Psalm 127, which I read on Friday talking about honoring Brenda because of the fact that she and her husband brought up a wonderful family. The truth is, unless the Lord is the center of it, it cannot succeed. And so that's an important key aspect of it. And so unless we do that, unless we see that, and the center of our whole existence is God's design. And we come together. And the model is Jesus God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit together, united. He wants us to be the same way with one another. United, coming together. The Holy Spirit is our model of relationship where we work as one. You work as one in your marriage, you work as one in your family, and you work as one as a church. And that's our purpose, to honor the Lord and be together in a relationship with him. And so he invites us into that relationship. Have you been invited into it? So I don't know if I have. Yes, you have. And if you don't know that you have, I want to invite you into it today. Right now, if you don't know that you're invited into a relationship with God, I want you to know you are. God wants you to be into a close relationship with him and all of his people. And he wants you to come together. That's how God designed us, to be in a relationship with him. When I was in college, I joined a fraternity. I've told you about my, some of my fraternity days. And, and we have this thing called Chapel Day when we would invite all the new members to come join us. 
And there's this big ritual that we had. The guys would come out wearing our colors and our jerseys. And, and then after that, we would have this great big celebration. You know, we'd all go out and have a, a, a big meal together somewhere. And then we'd gather back at the house and we'd show the new members around our fraternity house. And it was just a, a big fun time that we would gather together. Well, I want you to know God's invitation to you is to join a group and at the end of which there will be a great celebration. His purpose is for you to join with him and to celebrate with him for all eternity in a place called heaven. You know, when you buy a new car, uh, don't you sense some excitement? Isn't it exciting to get that new car? Maybe it's got that new car smell, right? And you want to show it off to friends and family. Maybe you'll drive it over to somebody's house and let them see it and let them get in. And, you know, they'll kick the tires. Why do we do that? I don't know. Just because that's what men do. We kick tires. I only got to open up the engine and look at all the parts. When I open it and look at it, I go, it beats me. I don't know what this stuff is. Let's close that. I just want to drive the thing, right? So you're all excited. You're all fired up. Wow, this is great. You play with the accessories. And now cars, I mean, they've got all kinds. They've got big old computer systems in. There's a bigger computer in your car than was in the space shuttle when it first launched. And so you want to play with all that and see all that. And you join together. And enjoy the joy over having that new car. But then what happens? A bird poops on it. <sighs> Got to go down and get it clean. You know, it starts getting dirty. You drive through some mud, something like that. You take it down to the grocery store and you park so nice and neatly. You want to make sure you're, sure you're really close in the center of the lane. And then some idiot comes with their tires right on that white line, and boom, their little kids jump out of the right side, and now you've got a ding in your brand new car, and you want to kill somebody over it, right? It's wrecked. It's ruined. Or even worse, maybe you have an accident, and now what you thought was just the greatest thing in the world is now broken. I want you to know something. God designed you for a purpose, but you and I, we experience brokenness. We destroy that purpose. And how does that happen? It happens by sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each of us is guilty of sin. Every one of us has some sin in our life that we are guilty of. You know, there's probably a selfishness at the heart of that sin. Put yourself at the center of your purpose. I'm here to glorify and gratify myself. And that leads to all kinds of self, selfish sin. It's a lack of restraint. It's a pride that we have. It's anger that we lash out at other people. Sin leads to something. And just like breaking our car ruins things, sin ruins your life. It takes the tarnish and puts it on there. It, it makes it not as good as it was when you were first created. Any, every one of us will eventually experience this brokenness. Many of us are in the throes of it right now. We're experiencing it. It's hurting us because of sin in our lives that has caused us to suffer. We've had difficulty. Uh, the, you know, that person that you couldn't live without, and now you're without them because of sin in your marriage or in your friendship. Something happened. You got bored and you started feeling like you weren't being loved. 
And so you started looking for that somewhere else. And you found it in another place. Maybe it was a short-term thing. Maybe you didn't seem to really mean much to you, but it happens. And as a result, you've broken it. And it could be an affair or it could be just a, a problem of lust in your life. That's just one example. There are so many other examples. You go to work and the character that you had tried to build up, you ruin it because of one selfish moment where you want to get ahead of somebody else and you lie or you cheat in order to do so and you hurt somebody. Our finances get broken because we, we just can't not have that new thing, that shiny new toy that we want, that something new that we think is going to make us happy and feel better. And you get it home and then at, almost immediately you say, boy, why did I buy this? This isn't really that necessary. You can add all kinds of other brokenness into your lives. Poor decisions have wrecked your health. Relationships with your, your friends or your children, your coworkers, all of it can be broken. But see, God has a design for you even in your brokenness. God knew that that would happen. He didn't create us and then Adam and Eve bit the apple and he went, what? I didn't expect this. This is totally foreign to me. He knew it would take place. He had a plan knowing it would happen. And he used our sinfulness in order to teach us about his love. Because he knew our sin would require his son to come and die for our sins. But you know what we do? We go looking for the fix in our own ways. You see the arrows going away from that circle that has brokenness written up there on the screen? Each one of those arrows represents a different way that you and I look to fix it on our own. You look for a fix. You know, how do I fix my car? You know, I remember when I was, uh, uh, when we used to have our, our green Honda. Remember that green Honda Accord? Some of you remember that. We let Michael drive it and uh, he got into an accident and it was definitely broken after that. But before that, when I was the one driving it all the time, uh, the little dial, when I would turn it on to heat, it didn't turn on to heat. And so, you know, that happened late spring, and I didn't really think about it. I didn't worry too much about it. I didn't need the heater in the summer, and so I waited. And I dreaded the idea of taking it down to the mechanic. I, I had these imaginations of, you know, $4,000 new heater system or something like that. And I remember my parents came to visit with my sisters, and and uh, so I had to go pick them up at the airport, and this was the first really cold morning. It was really cold, and I didn't have any heat in my car. And I picked them up, and I drove them back home, and by the time we were all home, everybody, and so finally I was like, this is stupid, Kevin. Just go get the thing fixed. So I went and took it to the Honda dealership in Gastonia, and he called me up a couple hours later. He said, yeah, the little dial was broken. I put a new one on there. Are you serious? How much is that going to be? $12.95, something like that. It was cheap. I thought, what an idiot I am. And I am. I'm a real idiot. I could have had that thing fixed a long time ago. I definitely didn't have to go to the airport and freeze everybody out for an hour. But you see, the problem is we try to find our own fixes. And that's just as dumb. You're going to ruin your life. Who's going to fix my car? Who's going to fix my transmission? How can I get my computer fixed? How can I get my broken heart fixed? Or my marriage? Or my bank balance? I want you to know God has a perfect fix for your life. If you are in the midst of brokenness, like all of us have been or are. Jesus came and died to fix your brokenness. A relationship with God is the beginning of that fix. 
And you have to enter into one in order for that to happen. And that happens when you and I confess our sins. We believe that Jesus died for us and we repent. You have to believe and repent. Repent and believe. You see, and that's the line that comes out. The gospel is the, the fix. The gospel is the thing that, that changes it all. The good news that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. He's alive today. And if you just ask him for forgiveness and you repent of your sins and believe in him, then you can be fixed. Your brokenness can be taken away. And the way that happens is you repent and you believe. That's what that line connecting our brokenness to the gospel. God knew that would happen and he had a plan to take care of it all along. And Jesus was that plan. And the gospel message being preached and taught and shared by individuals one-on-one, -on -one, the most effective tool of evangelism is you and I telling someone about the fix. So let me ask you this question as you look at those circles. You see, we go from the gospel back to God's design. That's the ultimate goal is God wants to repair it all. And so he, he sends us back to it, that recovery, and we pursue God's design in our life. Let me ask you this question about these three circles. Where do you see yourself right now? Would you say, I am living in the center of God's design for my life? Praise the Lord. A lot of Christians are. They're right in the center of God's will. Yeah, they sin on occasion, but, but for the most part, they're living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every aspect, their, their calendar matches God's plan. Uh, their career matches God's plan. Their home family life matches God's plan. Their relationship with their neighbors and their friends matches God's plan. And their activity involvement in his church matches God's plan. Praise the Lord if you are in the middle of God's design for your life. Stay there. Do everything you can to maintain it. Stay close to God. Worship with him and his fellow, uh, his children every week. Get in your word every day. Tell people about Jesus because it is fulfilling our calling, but it also reminds us of how good he is to us. Stay there. But you might be in the middle of brokenness today. And if you are, I want to invite you to the fix. I want to today invite you to go maybe somewhere you've never gone before. And that is to the feet of Jesus Christ, spiritually, metaphorically I'm speaking, in prayer by saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And I'm sorry for my sins. Will you please forgive me? And I promise I'll repent of my sins. I will turn away from the sinful things that I've done in my life that have caused this brokenness. And now I want to return to you. And if you pray a prayer similar to that, or with that sentiment, then he can begin the fix. It's not going to happen overnight. Your, your life isn't going to get suddenly easier the minute you open your eyes and end your prayer with amen. But you'll be on a journey where you're pursuing God's design in your life again. You ever been on a trip somewhere? I have. All of us have probably been on a trip somewhere. You had a trip today. You went from your home to, your, to this church. Even me, just walking across the parking lot. But have you ever been on a trip where you get lost? A lot of us do. And when you get lost, what do you do? Well, if you're a man, you just keep driving because you'll figure it out eventually, right? That's the joke anyway. 
But what do we really do? Well, today a lot of us pull out our phone and we open up a Maps app and try to figure that out. Or maybe you'll stop somewhere and ask somebody. Or maybe you've got that phone and you'll call. Hey, I'm about to, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to your house, but I got lost. How do I get there? Well, where are you is the question that they will ask. Where are you right now? I remember one of the first times, I think it was the first time I ever came to North Carolina. Uh, Barb and I were not yet married, but she was at home, at her new home with her parents who had just moved from Cincinnati. And I was coming down to visit, and then I was going to, pick her up and take her back to college. And um, I got lost. And the reason is because her mom is the one who gave me the directions. And her mom's kind of notorious for bad directions. And when her dad looked at the directions, he said, Reba, these two are different directions from two different places, and you put them together in one list. That doesn't work. Anyway, so we've always had fun with that over the years. But what did I do? I stopped. I didn't have a cell phone at the time at a gas station. And I called. I had their number, got on the payphone, and I called. And Barb and her dad got in their car and came out and got us, or got me, and I followed them back to their house. You see, that's what God is doing for you right now. If you're broken, it's because you're lost. You got off the path. Somehow, you didn't follow the right directions. It's not because he gave you wrong ones like Barb's mom gave to me. It's because you and I get distracted. You know, we're walking along and going in the right direction and all of a sudden, squirrel! And that squirrel can be anything. Some sinful thing that takes us away from the path that God has designed for us. Are you off the path? Are you in the middle of brokenness? Do you need to help, get some help? He wants to guide you back through his son, Jesus Christ. And I'll do my best to partner with him in doing that. He and I are getting in the car and coming to get you. And today's the day that we're coming for you, if you're willing. If you're willing to trust Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, to say, I will repent of my sins because I believe Jesus died for me and he's got a plan and a design for me. been listening to sermons at High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us. If you heard something that inspired you, challenged you, or encouraged you, please let me know. You can reach me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook at High Peak Church. Thanks for listening.